Welcome to Unlocking Innovation, a podcast from EX3 Labs in 1871. We'll be talking to leaders in innovation about what keeps them ahead of the curve in today's atmosphere of rapid change and how they cultivate a culture of innovation within their organizations. I'm your host, Adam Wisniewski. Today's guest is Guillaume Dudon of Dow Chemical Company. Guillaume is the director of Dow Digital Market Center and Customer Experience Services. Part of his work involves leading the company's global network of digital innovation centers. His goal is to use design thinking and agile methodologies to help Dow accelerate towards a new culture. Thank you for being here today, Guillaume. Thank you. Good morning. Good afternoon. (laughs) For those of the listeners that aren't familiar with your uh, career journey, can you give a bit of an overview? Yes, of course. So uh, my name is Guillaume, and it's a French name, so started all uh, some time ago back in France. Um, I've been working for around 25 years, mainly in the high-tech industry, uh, but around nine years ago, I was transitioning to a new country as my wife was offered to go and work in China. So I decided, let's pack everything and I'll follow you, darling. Mm -hmm. Um, Arriving in China, looking for a new opportunity, um, came across a number of high-tech companies and I said, hey, that would be great, Uh, just moving on and being being a tech specialist. But then had the opportunity to meet with a very different kind of company, a a large uh, industrial company in the chemical industry, uh, focusing on B2B markets. And I say, hey, let's do something different. So I joined Dow eight years ago, and I've been with them since. Um, along the way, I've worked across uh, many different countries. I worked in uh, Canada, Europe, Tunisia, China, now in the U.S., so I call myself a global citizen. Uh, and I always have that passion for technology in the back of my mind, regardless of or despite what I'm doing in my busy days. Fantastic. So one of the things that uh, I'm interested in, especially um, over your uh, your career journey of traveling to different countries, what has been the, the most interesting part of your travels in terms of the way different countries do business? Oh, yeah, and always I've had that question before, so I have a. But um, what has been surprising over time is not so much the differences, but what actually is common to every place I've been working in, working and living. So. And it's about how you connect with people, uh, because whatever you're doing, you know, negotiating, uh, growing, coaching, hiring, uh, it ends up in how you engage with others. Uh, so things as uh, listening, respect, uh, trust. Uh, it doesn't mean you you cannot be. Uh, precise, it doesn't mean you cannot have expectations, but what I've learned over time is that the way you do it uh, matters, and by the way, that way, I mean, these principles are universal. They apply whether I'm uh, in China uh, hiring new college students, uh, whether I'm in Tunisia uh, negotiating with the landlord for a new site, a new office, or whether in the U.S. Uh, looking at the launch of a new uh, technology solution. It's always around the people with us and, and applying some of the simple principles. I love the story about you and your wife and you traveling oh. to kind of support her um, <laughs> in her career journey. Um, I'm curious, what drew you to 
um, the chemical industry? Was it a scenario where it just happened to be, you happened to work for that company that was in that location, or was that something you were drawn to? Yeah, it was a coincidence. It was there was nothing I never would have anticipated that I would work in a molecule uh, scientist uh, company. Uh, but I think it was it ended up being curiosity. Um, and what happened is I actually asked the company, I say, hey, I know nothing about you. Would you allow me a one-day te- one test? Uh, I want to come in the office and look around, spend time in your meetings, see how things go. I want to hear you speak. I want to observe you. Uh, because I was, I was really curious and say, hey, is this, is this going to be different? Um, it was different. Uh, and in the end, I think the curiosity... Um, as well as that, that appetite for change and new things and new learnings uh, was too strong. I say, I have to go and I have to do this. I don't want to stay in a high-tech world. I know, I know all the stuff, so I, I want to be in a challenging new space. What a great story. Um, Dow Chemical is such a large company and so well-known, but for... Those listeners that not, might not be as familiar with the company, could you give a little bit of background on what it is that Dow does? Yeah, and it's a timely question because we're now the new Dow. So we just went through a 18 months uh, fantastic journey as the company merged with DuPont. So $250 billion company merging together. And as we are now splitting that new uh, mega company into three new entities. So one of these new entities, the new Dow, uh, we just went public. So we had our IPO beginning of the month. As I say, hey, I, I didn't have to go in a startup company. I also had my IPO experience now. <laughs> uh, ringing the bell on the New York Stock Exchange. Um, and so this new Dow company is around, let's say, $45, $50 billion company, uh, publicly traded. Uh, we're a global player in the material science, uh, was leading positions in a number of markets. Uh, we cover uh, packaging and specialty plastics, uh, industrial solution and intermediates, uh, and then consumer solutions. Um, Dow is not very well known from the public because we don't have Dow branded products. But I always tell, as you look around and as you touch and work with your iPhone, your couch, your bed, your car, your shoes, your clothes, your paint, your desk, your toothpaste, your shampoo, you're probably touching Dow products more than you think. Um, That's the big product catalog we have, and that's the big uh, innovation portfolio we have with the science around, you know, uh, all the different chemicals that we have. So one of the the main functions you serve within Dow is the director of the Digital Marketplace Center. Yep. Um, can you describe the goal of that uh, initiative? Yes. So uh, you know, remember, as I said, it was about join. I joined a a, um, a large, and I'm, I don't like the word old, but it's it's a large, one hundred year old uh, chemical company. And a few years back, we started thinking about transforming uh, and accelerating specifically in the context of what we were observing in our marketplaces was digitization. Um, And we decided to take a fairly uh, disruptive approach, which was if we want to innovate at speed with a focus on new technologies, 
We have to understand what may prevent that in our culture uh, and therefore be very deliberate about what we want to change. And that's how we came back with this first idea that, hey, it has to be a, a new type of teams with different, type, with different skills, embracing new methods, uh, having access to technology uh, in an easier way. And on top of that, it probably needs to be in a different space versus some of our traditional uh, office cubicles. So we sort of created that formula and say, we're going to change all those different dimensions. Uh, and the result was the first digital marketplace center we established in Chicago. Very different space, a new team embracing new methods, uh, direct access to technology and, by the way, to the, to the tech community in Chicago. Uh, and with a mandate to uh, go explore, experiment, and accelerate the intake of digital technologies in the company. What a, a strong initiative. And I yeah. know so many large companies and a lot of the listeners have that same challenge within their, their organization. Uh, I'm curious, how do you think about prioritization uh, as it relates to innovation? Yeah, so one, one principle we had was that innovate, this is not innovation for the sake of innovation. Um, and we, we've, we always put innovation in the context of our businesses, uh, business opportunities, business challenges. And that means that we want to have for everything we experiment, including some of the very early stage proof of concepts, uh, we always have a partnership with at least one of our business units and they provide us with a real context. Um, that's a key, that's one of the main prioritization elements because, I mean, just to give you an example, uh, augmented reality, uh, which you know well, mm -hmm. uh, is, is fun and fancy, but the big question is what is the business impact and what will be the business value? Absolutely. So I've, I've coached the team to say, hey, you can go out and discover and learn but what we want to do is really have bring that back into the business context and make sure that we understand how that technology is going to change the way we work. Um, that's one of the main prioritization criteria, and that's a tough one because finding a relevant, impactful case or relevant and impactful justification is, is difficult. So augmented reality, blockchain, artificial intelligence, uh, chatbots, I mean, think about all those exciting technologies. Uh, the only time we bring them back in for early POC, proof of concepts, and sometimes pilots, is when we have a very strong business case and, and one business is sitting with us and say, yes, this is how we're going to change, transform, or disrupt something we're doing already. So one of the things you mentioned is this this last 18 months in, in focusing in on, on the, the new DAO. One of the goals is to become the most in, innovative company and customer-centric, inclusive, and sustainable um, science company in the world. Can you describe that new plan a little bit more in depth? Yeah. So there is a uh, – the new DAO is um, – although it has the same name and same logo – uh, we ambition to be a very different company, and I'm, I'm very proud of what our CEO 
uh, is representing in that context, specifically with that claim, you know, to be the most innovative, customer-centric, inclusive, and sustainable uh, material company. Uh, having that message set at the top makes a big difference. Uh, and in addition, specifically when the leaders all the way in the organization are starting to walk the talk and when this translates into visible changes in the way we work. Um, so customer-centric, which is one that touches the work we do here in Chicago, uh, you know, it's about uh, measuring the experience, being open to customer feedback. Um, just as a side story, when we design and we set up our center in Chicago, we say, you know, this is only for internal use. Um, the only people that will come in are businesses, Dow businesses and internal users, but we're down three years after that. We have customers coming in, uh, and customers up, take a role at the design table. Uh, customer participate. So, what is exciting as we become that new DAO is to have a clear message set at the top. Uh, is to have this being, um, you know, people buying in and people changing behaviors, changing the way they work, walking the talk. Uh, and starting to see the visible results in a lot of different activities, um, which is I've, I find it fascinating. One of the biggest challenges that we found with the companies that we work with is that message always doesn't come top down. Um, it, it often is, is a bottoms up initiative yeah. where there's this groundswell of you know directors and managers that say we've got to do something, and, and finally executive leadership is uh, is finally bought in. In your opinion, what does it really take to, to cultivate that culture of innovation, um, and how have you seen that um, uh, happen at Dow? Yeah, I think it, it probably depends on the on the company culture. So we're we're using that word a lot, but um, I don't think there is one answer. I think you have to understand what drives, what motivates, what influences your company's strategy and your company behaviors. Um, and as you start, and as you start listing these um, these triggers or these drivers, that's when you need to understand which one are obstacles for innovation. Uh, and you have so you know what's the what how does authority play in the company? How does delegation? What's the role of the leader versus the team? What is your decision model? Is this an inclusive or is this top down? Uh, what's your risk posture? Are you open to risk or not? I mean, but as you go through all the things, you start understanding, hey, this is what my culture, my company culture is about. And in that list, these are the things that are preventing innovation, maybe. And these are the ones you want to start changing and you want to start shifting and you want to start adjusting. Um, so for us, um, the leader... Uh, walking the talk, starting with visible, visible, simple changes, uh, bringing the customer for customer centering was a, a lot about bringing the customer into discussion. I mean, these are all the results of starting to shift or change some of those triggers and drivers, uh, and they've been effective. Now, as I, as I, you know, share that experience with others. I realize that not, not, not all organizations and not all companies have the same culture drivers and triggers, 
And what worked for us might not work for somebody else. That's what makes it difficult and challenging. One of the things that, especially around the, the digital innovation centers that you oversee, um, is they span across multiple countries, Chicago, Sao Paulo, uh, Shanghai. How do, how do you scale that? How do you think about innovation at scale? Yeah. So first, the reason, I mean, over the last three years, we've expanded that around the globe. And the reason is because we wanted to have proximity to markets and customers and have very direct insights about what works, what's happening, and what are the trends in the different regions around the globe. Now, scale, um, I think you have, you if you think about what makes or what, what makes the, the a digital innovation center, uh, not every component scale the same way. Um, and for us, scale is really scaling the what I call the front end of innovation. This is where you have um, discovery, exploration, ideation. That's where you need to be in market. That's where you need the proximity because you need to sense, you need to observe, you need to feel. Um, and that doesn't, ha- that doesn't happen well remotely. And by the way, that doesn't happen well with uh, culture barriers or culture differences. So what we're really scaling is what I would call the front end of the innovation process and the innovation engagements. Uh, and then that's what we are replicating in every, in every location but then we're really now starting to optimize the back end. What is the back end? The back end is once you have a, a, fully, um, a fully documented concept that you want to bring to life, uh, you know, engaging the technical experts, getting into technical design, build, and delivery. This is something you can do at scale. Uh, and you may not need to have that in every single location. You may you may be able to do that from a central location with a very optimized and productive model. So scaling is, is again, I'm, I'm using that front and back end distinction, not just from a technical point of view, but more from an uh, innovation. We're scaling the proximity to drive exploration, discovery, ideation, and shaping in market with proximity to our customers, but then we're leveraging a common platform uh, teams expertise delivery at scale um, to do that globally. I want to take a, a moment just to, to pause here because I think what you're mentioning is such an important topic because if you think about a center of something, you usually t- typically think about the satellite offices or locations reporting back into that center yeah. model. But you you have centers plural, meaning you know that you're you're getting these hubs that are in close proximity to your customers, so the customer's voice can be much louder to that particular yep. center point. And a lot of companies, large companies, just have one of those, and it's yeah. located in a very specific city. So I think that's an important point. I just want to make sure the listeners got that because oh, yeah. it's uh, it's not Ooh. always common I, to see that. I always emphasize that because the um, people tend to think that the Chicago Center is the main hub, and it's a sort of a hub and spoke. But I say, no, all the centers are equal in terms of how they engage with their market, their customers, and how they can generate the next uh, set of innovative ideas. Um, and there is no, there is not a main one, there is not a primary one, they're all equal. So we're, we're, we're talking about a network, 
and we're really trying to operate as a distributed network of equal centers. Uh, and that's if if you get it right, I think it's very powerful. It's difficult, but it's very powerful. So you and I had a chance to uh, participate in a design thinking session yep. recently together. Uh, I'm curious why you find design thinking and agile methods so compelling. Yeah, so we we introduced design thinking um, three years ago, right from the beginning, and the intention was to remember, as I was explaining the foundation of the center, that we were looking at the formula for success and what we wanted to deliberately change. One thing was methods. So our culture, and it's a science-driven culture, is rational problem, rational and analytical problem solving, uh, which usually takes you know a good set of data, um, uh, science, and then a fairly linear process to take you to the best answer, the optimal answer. Um, uh, we've done that very successfully uh, in a number of different areas over time. But as we came in that digital innovation center and with an ambition, we wanted to have something else that will help us address the new, you know, the new new complex problem. And sometimes we talk about those wicked problems, where you know it's about people and human. Uh, you you don't have historical data. You might not have historical data. Uh, you have to rely a lot of, on observation, and as you do observation, there is an empathy element, which becomes a bit fuzzy. Uh, and then uh, you, there is probably not one single best answer, but you have a number of options. Uh, and that's we felt that design thinking was the way for us to start being better at approaching these problems and also helping us shifting perspective. And that's also... It's not just a different way of approaching a problem, but it's also a way to bring in, to bring in very different, fresh perspective on how you look at a problem. Um, and that's been very successful. We started with um, just the, the Chicago Center as a, as a center where we practice design thinking, but this is something we've expanded now uh, as, a, as a standard methodology uh, and we run, I'm, I'm, I'm so glad to see so many different design thinking workshop and design project, design thinking um, led projects happening in the company now. Now, I'm not saying that design thinking is for everything, uh, but I think there is a sweet spot whereby specific problems can be really well um, addressed, really well discovered, documented, and explored using design thinking. And if one of the listeners is thinking to themselves, that sounds great. How do I get started with that? What do you recommend? So uh, design thinking is an experience. So my main recommendation is uh, you can always read books, watch YouTube videos, uh, if that's a way to uh, educate yourself. But uh, find ways to experience it. because design thinking relies so much on tapping into the human brain and tapping into empathy, creativity, uh, nonlinear processing, intuition, uh, feelings. Uh, this is something that you best understand and discover by experiencing it. Um, and in the beginning, you probably need someone to come and help you 
to um, to help you facilitate or to help you create that experience. Um, once you get into it, I think you can then start thinking about now, how do I train myself? How do I prepare myself? And by extension, how do I train my organization and prepare my organization? Um, but the best, the best, you know, the most impactful approach we've seen have been through uh, experience and practice. So design thinking produces quite a few new ideas. What's the one common challenge that you often find uh, yourself running into when it comes to driving those new ideas forward? So in the digital world, the I mean, two challenges, and and probably related to the context of looking at new digital innovation or digital solutions. The first one is the um, the digital seduction. So it's easy to fall in the trap of being seduced by digital innovation. And again, uh, hey, this AI chatbot is so cool. That's definitely what we need. Well, this is this might be wrong. By the way, most of the time this is wrong. It's just it's a seduction. I call this seduction because <laughs> I've I've seen that so many times. Sure. Where people say, "Oh, oh, you have a three D printer. This is so cool, and this is probably what we should be doing." Because it's new and shiny. It's new and shiny, and you know. Uh, so number one is resist that seduction, resist the temptation. That's the that's the the trap number one, um, and the number two is the reluctance to do pilots and prototypes. So the opposite is a absolutely do pilots and prototypes as early as possible. Uh, in our culture, this has been fairly disruptive because we, again, think about chemical engineering. Uh, you you're, you want to test, you want to validate, you want to prove, you want to retest again, and you want to validate again. Uh, in our space now in Chicago, we do we do quick prototypes as early as possible, and sometimes we bring in the customers uh, very early on, which is something we would never have done before. So, number one, reduce um, resist temptation and seduction. Digital technology is dangerous. Stay away from it. <laughs> uh, and number two, pilot and prototype as early as possible. By the way, having businesses, that's, that's why I had this principle about businesses, because we always use our business stakeholders, so business leaders, commercial leaders, marketing managers, product managers, to really test those ideas. You know, hey, does it really make sense? And after, if you, if you ask that question uh, loud enough, people would say, yeah, wait, 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 I agree. Let's, let's really think through and how can we test it? There are so many technologies that kind of make up that, that digital <laughs> kind of seduction uh, uh, realm. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious, which ones do you think have the most utility um, for various companies? So uh, it, I think it, the, the context matters because you know digital technology are either um, augment are either substitution for something else or they are augmenting or accelerating or empowering or they are enabling. So it depends, it depends on the context. Uh, for us, so the digital marketplace centers focus on 
customer experience, markets, uh, customer-facing solutions. And I think the, la- the, the two, the one biggest disruptor is definitely AI and machine learning. Uh, and I can explain why. And then the second next is probably going to be, and I'm going to call that next generation interfaces. So why AI and machine learning? Because there are, there are so many opportunities in better understanding, predicting, and assisting customers through their discovery and buying journeys. Uh, and it's really about pre- understanding, predicting, and assisting so that in the end you can do two things. You can personalize the experience because the system knows who you are, knows what you like, and knows what you want. So you can personalize it. And the other thing is you can streamline the experience because all of a sudden the system knows what's going to be your next step. And by the way, because we know you, we might even just skip that next step. So you have a very powerful way, which is machine-driven, machine-learning-driven, to personalize and streamline the experience And I think that's going to be very disruptive. Uh, That's number one. The number two was what I call next generation experience is that our way of interacting with digital is still touch, type, and text. Now, there are many things, including boats, conversational, uh, face recognition, uh, eye tracking. I'm not sure which one, but if I think about there is probably a way to really disrupt the way you interact with the digital world. Um, right now, whatever you say, if you want to place an order, uh, specifically in our industry, B2B space, you're still typing things, you're still typing something somewhere. Right. Or if you're searching for information, you're still entering text in a search bar somewhere. And I think that's what we might want to change in the future. Absolutely. The listeners can't see me right now, but I'm smiling. And and the reason why is because every point that you made around technology fell back on the customer experience side. Mm -hmm. So keeping customer, as a user experience designer, I always appreciate when I hear that um, because it's so important. And that that shows me that your lens is constantly thinking about ways that you can improve the experience through technology, not the other way around. Yeah, I call this the anchor point or the, the ground point. But you, you, again, I mean, I'm, I'm a technology enthusiast. I don't, call me a geek or nerd or whatever. <laughs> but, but, um, but I really believe that there is that seduction risk, that temptation risk is real. So, you know, the best way is to have an anchor point so that you don't get distracted or you don't lose your way. Uh, and for us in, in, in the space I, I oversee, that anchor point is customer experience and is the customer. Uh, that's what allows us to always reground or recenter or refocus the discussion uh, and, never, and never lose our way. So curious about a bold prediction uh, in the future. So what's the one major technology that you think is going to be the most disruptive? You named two. Um, in the next five to ten years, if you had to take more of a bold prediction about the uh, for the future, yeah, what we see now as a trend is the ambition to be able to do 
science formulation in a digital way. So the way you come up with new materials, uh, a new a new adhesive, a new paint, a new foam, is still very much was in was experimentation and science happening in the physical world. But what we see now is an opportunity to disrupt that by performing research and then experimentation and even material prototyping in a fully digital way. And that relies on advanced modeling, uh, next-generation computing, uh, simulation, uh, and, of course, machine learning and artificial intelligence, which is a nice supplement or a nice addition to researchers when it comes to processing and analyzing vast amount of data. Uh, so imagine you're looking for a new formula for a paint, uh, but instead of having people in the lab manipulating glass tubes and, and chemical components, you have a, a digital model that allows you to do that at faster speed with all the power of advanced computing and machine learning and analytics uh, you can potentially disrupt uh, innovation speed cycle. You can disrupt, um, you know, formulation performance. You can disrupt cost. You can disrupt a lot of things. So I think we're due to observe and, and, and leave through a very fascinating transformation where what is at the core of our industry, uh, material science research and material science formulation uh, will be transformed uh, and become digital material formulation and digital research uh, in the future. Exciting stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So last question, most important question of the day. What's the one app on your phone that you can't live without? Oh, you'll, you'll be disappointed. Uh, I'm going to say mail. <laughs> um, I'm... Uh, I... I have a. Um, I'm, I'm trying to pay attention to my time spent on electronics, uh, and I'm 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 starting to disconnect more and more. Um, so I have uh, three kids, um, fourteen, ten, and and six. Um, my wife works. I work. We have a busy life. Uh, electronic devices have invited our personal space more than we wanted. And I think we're starting to pull out so that when we're around the table for a nice dinner, uh, we're really together and we're experiencing something great. Or when my kids need attention, I can give them the attention they need. Uh, so email is, mail is really the, uh, the, the thing, the one thing I use most. Everything else, I've started to drop these. So that digital seduction isn't just in regards to work, it's uh, in yeah, regards yeah, to yeah. home and yeah. So. yeah, so I broke up with Facebook. <laughs> Seduced me a while back, and then I broke up. Yeah. I think this is my almost my ten year anniversary being off of Facebook. Oh, yeah. So it's 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 interesting because I felt very similarly. Yeah, my daughter wrote a was working on something recently, and she said um, disconnect to reconnect. Uh, so she made an experiment not having her mobile phone. She's a teenager, not having the, her mobile phone for one week. 
and she came up with a lot of great stories where she had reconnected with friends and with people because of not having her connected phone. And she had to go and talk to people. She had to go and in- so I mean that's it's fascinating, and that's the whole that's this whole digital temptation, which is it's a it's a it's a danger. Absolutely, stay away. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for being here today. We really enjoyed having you. Thank um, you. If any of the listeners want to follow you online, or if there's a a way to uh, to connect with you. <laughs> Look, oh, we just talked about the challenge of connecting. I is just said I'm not connected. <laughs> no, I'm uh, uh, professional connections still work, so okay. you can find me on LinkedIn, um, and uh, email works as well. So, do you want me to spell my? No, you don't so, have to. All right, I'm sure. I'm sure people can find it on the uh, on the episode. Uh, your, your name, so uh, yes. they can look you up on LinkedIn. No, but uh, and by the way, we're uh, one principle we've adopted is to be, be uh, open and outside in and inclusive. So uh, you know, communication channels are open. Uh, in case you want to come in and visit, uh, you're very welcome. Uh, in case you want to connect and have a short chat offline, uh, you're very welcome as well. Fantastic, Guillaume. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for inviting me. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Remember to subscribe to Unlocking Innovation wherever you listen to podcasts and be sure to rate and review. To stay up to date with EX3 Labs news and events, follow us on social media. We're at EX3 Labs. See you next time. Thank you.